0: This is Super Investors and the Art of Worldly Wisdom. I'm Jesse Felder.
1: Object to the test! Sound on at April 142! Warren Buffett. Carl Icahn.
0: Don Templeton.
1: Buy low, sell high. With fear, that's the other guy's problem. Dan Miller, George Soros. Paul to the villains. Peter Lynch. You wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500? Because They're sheep she'd get slaughtered.
0: My guest for this episode is Bill Fleckenstein. I've been really excited to share this one. We recorded the interview back in late May when I made a trip up to Seattle. And Bill was kind enough to invite me into his home. Uh, We shared a bottle of wine and chatted for well over an hour, Um, but it it, it just flew by. Um, For those who don't already know Bill, uh, for the past 30 years, he has run money for Bill Gates. He has witnessed and profited from four financial bubbles and honed his palate for white burgundies, which is one of the wines we were drinking as we recorded this conversation. As I normally try to do, I use this opportunity to really try to dig into Bill's process to find out what has made him successful as a short seller during these massive financial bubbles when it can be very dangerous to try and trade from the short side. So we talk about tactics. We talk about central bank policies, um, the problems they create, the problems that they pose for investors. We also talk about what Bill sees as the fattest pitch right now for short sellers in the markets, and also the greatest risk facing the average investor today. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bill Fleckenstein. So Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh thanks for doing this. I it's uh, a real pleasure for me to uh have this opportunity to chat with you like this. Yeah, well, it's fun for me too. So let's uh let's dive in. Yeah, I you know, um I thought I was a wine snob because um <laughs> I don't like to drink the stuff out of a box, but uh but you're a real wine snob. What uh, yes. tell tell me about we we're drinking a couple different wines here. Tell me about uh, your wine uh, passions. Well, um
1: I started collecting wines in the early 80s and it was a function uh, totally serendipitous. I mean, I was always like a Bud Light drinker.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, I bumped into a buddy of mine from high school. He was working in a wine shop and uh we had just bought a new house and it had a quote-unquote wine cellar in it which is to say it had a little compartment downstairs where they had shelves for wine so I figured since we had a wine cellar maybe we should learn about wine and my wife actually knew more about it she'd been an analyst in New York and and um, and you know had an she was a tech analyst at Kidder Peabody and and uh, and they had a nice big expense accounts so she knew a lot about some of the nicer white burgundy. So we started trying wines and one thing led to another. And we both settled kind of on burgundy is what we really liked and particularly white burgundy. So just one thing led to another. And here we are, you know, 30 years later with, you know, eight, 9,000 corks in that yeah. thing.
0: Well, if you're going to drink wine, you know why not drink something that's worth drinking? Right? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Life's <laughs> too life's too short to drink bad wine. Absolutely. I do t- I tell my wife this, you know, I, you know she goes and buys wine at the supermarket, and says, "Why don't we just join some of these wine clubs where you get the wine at a good price, but you actually get good wine?"
1: Yeah. You well, know? some of the some of the uh, like, I have a really good friend of mine uh, is the uh, winemaker and owner of Andrew Will Winery, which um, he's a really talented guy, on, you know, on a national international scale and like he has a wine blind tasting club and he had a couple bottles a month and it's usually stuff that he, he has too small extra barrel of this or whatever and a bottle it and you get to try stuff you wouldn't ordinarily get to try ridge has one of those. There's a lot of a lot of places that have those but oftentimes it's a good deal because you'll get a couple of bottles you would never see and, and you'll learn about different grapes and different things like that and you you can actually learn a little something you know I, i'm always i have Sometimes I'll have friends that come over and say, they know I'm a, I have some wine. They'll say, Well, uh, don't waste the good wine on me because I can't tell the difference. I say, Really? And I'll pour them a glass and say, Wow, this is really good. And I say, See, you don't have to be very sophisticated <laughs> right. to be able to tell if it's good or not, right? right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, it's funny in terms of. Uh, investing I you know when I first thought of the term wine snob I thought of I I wrote a a post like a year ago or something about the virtue in being a snob in terms of investing you know that I think it was Jim Rogers or somebody said you know don't commit capital so you have a really really good reason Uh to do that Uh you know so it's kind of the same thing right like don't Don't buy a wine just to to, to buy wine. Don't waste those brain cells on some dodgy (laughs) wine, right? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And don't waste your capital on, you know, ideas you kind of like or you think might do okay. You know, waste your capital on ideas that you really think you really love and you really think is a great opportunity.
1: The longer that I've been at this, the more I find that... It's, it's not so hard anymore because I've been doing this long enough now, but not doing anything when you don't like what you're seeing or the setup or whatever um, is really important um, for two reasons. Number one, um, you, know, you save your, your grief and your, your potentially your capital and all of that. Um, but then secondarily, it's easy enough to be wrong when you're sure that you're right. So if you go into some situation kind of lukewarm, I mean, how the hell are you going to make any money unless you get lucky, right? You know. Right. So I, 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 there are, I go, I go, days and days and days without doing a trade. Yeah. So that, that for me that's okay. I mean, other guys do it differently. I'm looking on the longer term time horizon or, or so. Um, if I, you could use the same sort of discipline, uh, even on a day trading, you know, you you might look at a thousand in a day and you only take two or something like that but yeah. you
0: know it just well it reminds me of another you know uh discipline outside of uh investing which in, in, is music and, and probably most uh appropriately jazz they talk about the space in between notes that you you listen to good jazz players i don't know if you're a jazz fan but you know uh and it's the, when they're not playing, that how they use the empty space uh-huh. I, is I, really, really valuable. I, I you hear guys sp- that just blast notes and, you know, not, you know like, okay, I don't, that's amazing that you can do that, but I want to listen to it. Right? I, you know, you need to use the empty space. To-
1: I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but, you know, that that's kind of speaks to timing, you know, yeah. which is obviously yeah. investing in timing. When, the knowing time when at- not
0: to play or when right, not exactly. to commit capital. Exactly, exactly. So, um, you didn't start in finance. Were you, I think, if I remember correctly, you were in software or something originally?
1: Yeah. So I was a math major, and um, but I took a lot of computer science classes. They didn't really have undergraduate degrees in that. This was the mid-70s. But, um, but I was pretty interested, and I took a lot of different classes in programming, and it just so happened that I got a job because I... Um, the uh, Burroughs Corporation needed needed somebody who could program an Algol, which I learned because they had a big Burroughs machine at the UW, and uh, they needed a tech for. The, you know, a local company had had bought the big machine, and they were promised. So I was in the right place at the right time, and I got a job writing software. Um, and um, uh, but I I did that for a year and a half, two years, and I was really I was really bored with it. Um, and I uh, had an interest in investing. I, I'd sort of kind of gotten interested in it. And so one thing led to another. And so I left the software business to become a broker at Kidder Peabody, which is how I, well ultimately I met my wife.
0: Yeah. So you trans- transitioned to Kidder Peabody and you were a broker. And was that here in Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. I was, a, I was a broker. Pardon me? It, that was in Seattle? The yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was a broker for a couple of years. And then there was this... A, 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 um, a local money management firm that had started uh the first one that had been started in Seattle in about i don't know might have been 10 15 years and uh they were kind of expanding and so they um uh got I, so then I joined them and uh we had and 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 did that we was mostly a value oriented um Investment for it was a it was a value oriented investment firm and we had, um, and I um, basically did that until about 1996 when I left to go start a short fund because I was fairly certain that what Greenspan was doing was going to lead to problems big problems and I thought that being a value investor wouldn't work all that well given what he was doing and giving the trends in the industry towards. Um, consultants doing what they tend to do and all that. So I thought it was going to be a tough time. So I thought, well, I'll go be a short seller. I'll get away from this. And then I can come back and run money on the long side again. It'll be easy for me to raise money because I will have differentiated myself by saying, look, these are bad policies. They're going to lead to trouble. I'm not going to be part of it. and, and, And then when sanity returns, I can go back to the long side. It was a pretty good theory. And, uh, but you know, there was, it was a long ways between 96 and March of 2000 when the market finally cracked. And then of course it turns out that the idiots at the fed, you know, they didn't get any religion about their bad policies and the public didn't either. And, and, you know, you know, I believe that in addition to all the lives and turmoil that 9-11 created, it gave it let the Fed off the hook, so that everyone blamed the economic weakness on nine eleven when the economic weakness had already begun and was a consequence of the bubble bursting, so anyway, one yeah. bubble led to another, and you know so then I never went back to the long side. I stayed in the battle on the short
0: side until the real estate bubble imploded well, and, let's come back to that decision to to switch to a short-only fund because you know. Um, and by the way, the firm that I co-founded in late '97, one of the funds we started was a short-only fund in the end of '97, early '98, which was a very difficult time to do that. So I, got, you know, I can sympathize with with what you what you went through in that period. But what what really you know about your character or your um, your mindset? You know, I, I guess what what inspired you to. You know, besides the policies, I guess what is it about your personality or whatnot that helped you see what most everybody else really didn't see about the, the dangers of the pol- these policies creating a bubble and, and etc. I, I, I don't,
1: I don't think I did anything special. I don't. I mean,
0: well, I mean everybody else was you know jumping on the day trading bandwagon. And, yeah, you
1: know. uh, yeah. I, I can't. I mean, part of it. Part of it was. Part of it may have may be due to the fact that. For some odd reason, ever since I was a little kid, I had a kind of an unusual not unusual, but I had a um the whole concept of what happened in the depression and money being scarce and all this stuff really affected me, and my mom would always was tell me stories about when she was a kid and stuff like that and it all it always stayed with me and um so i i after I had been short Tokyo, the Tokyo market for myself and for one of our clients, we obviously didn't short as an organization, but I did have one client that, that, that I, um, that wanted to do that sort of thing. And so I, I did, I did it for him. And so I'd been shorting some stuff I'd been shorting for him in 94 and 95 and myself. So I had some idea that I had, I had a belief that I had, that I knew kind of what to do. Um, as I look back on it, relative to what I know now, I didn't know anything. But um, uh, nonetheless, I'd had the experience, and given what I saw in Tokyo and given these policies, I'd spent a lot of time reading books about the 20s and the Depression, and I was just certain that, the, that, 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 that what we were doing was similar to what was happening, happened in the 20s, and um, was going to lead to real trouble when it ended. So I didn't see how I had any choice. To me, I had no choice. I couldn't stand alongside. the long side the run up to what was going the the run up was going to make value investing extremely difficult that turned out to be true um so i felt like we'll lose our clients cuz we won't be able to do what we need to do we won't be we won't be able to get it right about when it turns um, and then a- a- after the trouble hits then i go back alongside that part of the analysis was solved. <laughs> we're still
0: we're still waiting for yeah, that, exactly. that part of the exactly a- a-
1: exactly so i um I, 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 for whatever reason, uh, the, I, I think the, the root, had I not had such a sort of a infatuation or sort of a, uh, spent some, so much time reading about the twenties and the depression and all that, probably I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done what I did if had it not been for that, I guess, now that I think about it.
0: Yeah. I think there's I mean, two types of people that I meet, and one are the people who understand cycles that markets move just like nature, right? And we have we have seasons and cycles, and then there are other people that think that it's really just one long up cycle, and there never will be another down cycle like like we saw in the depression again. And, and whether that's faith in the central bank or faith in you know American ingenuity, I, I don't think any of those is, people that you're talking about live in Greece now. Right, those, those people right. have found out that. <laughs> yeah. When you can't kick the can anymore, life gets tough. Or you talked about Japan, you know, you look at where Japanese, you know, equity and real estate prices today versus where they were in 1990, you know, one of the things driving this bull market is the idea that buy and hold will work because the market's never been down over a 20 year period. Uh, and I think, you know, Japanese would look at that and go, you know, laugh, right? right? Like, yeah, markets can be down 20 years, uh, you know, over a 20 year period, um, so I think that's, you know, being willing to look at, look through the cycle and say what's coming on the other side of the cycle is something that not a lot of people are willing to do. I think also it's this particular
1: period, and and by that I mean Greenspan changed the nature of central banking um, because... You know, I feel, and I, obviously I'm biased or wrote a book about this, that he he was never very good at being an economist or anything else. I mean, most economists aren't particularly useful. I mean, nothing against them, but if you look, I mean, they, they don't add much value, I don't think. Um, and he didn't either. He wasn't very good at being an economist, Um and I could share with you some quotes, and they're in the book. I, mean, I won't bore you with them, but uh, um, he, I believe his ego got to him, and he liked being the guy, and and he started looking at the stock market, you know, and and and, and basically ran Fed policy on the plot, the applause meter that he was getting from the stock market. You know, I chronicle in the book all the times they should have done something, they didn't, and they said they would if this happened, and then that would happen, and they wouldn't do it. I mean, the biggest criminal act that he had, I think, probably was the rate cuts after long-term capital, the fall in 98. They said, you know, we'll take them out if we need to. And then speculation got wild, and they didn't even talk about it. And they would have FOMC meetings, and the stock market wouldn't even come up. You know, Mike Pro one time in a meeting talked about, uh, I think it was Red Hat, some you know thing you know went insane, like a lot of those stocks did. And he mentioned it was similar to South, the South Sea bubble. He, he brought the prospectus in. Didn't get one comment. So they yeah. were sound asleep. So I think Greenspan was... Um, I really disliked him because of the fact that I thought that he, not having been a very good economist ought to have known better i mean it's this this nonsense about irrational exuberance i mean well if he really people talked about him like he knew what he was doing that was in 96 right if he really had any concept to do that where was that thought over the next four or five years so he started this sort of being too easy being too easy and that created the bubble and then then, of course, after that, they they, they, they were deemed to be the firemen writing to the rescue as opposed to the arsonists who started the fire. And, of right. course, they were both. Right. And um, they didn't get tagged with that. And then, and then um, um, you know, Greenspan didn't learn anything from the first one. He's out cheerleading for the housing bubble saying it can't be a bubble. You can't. He said this. The quote's not going to be exact, but it's pretty close. You know. You, you, you can't have a bubble because you can't arbitrage real estate in you know, Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine. I mean, that was one of his arguments. He was given speeches about why there couldn't be a bubble when there was one raging. So he, he started this, what I call the activist central bank era, where he was going to go in and tweak things. And then, and then, of course, that ended in a disaster. And then we got Bernanke, who was epically clueless. Yeah. I mean, how a guy could have studied the Depression and come to the conclusion that the Fed didn't do enough when the, what, it was what the Fed did in <laughs> right. the first place in 27 and 28, which caused – and never when those guys go on TV does anybody say, hey, wait a second. wait, You guys were – it wasn't what you didn't do in the 30s. It was what you did in the 20s. They never get called on that. So anyway, I've gotten off on the tangent. But my, the, these these activist central bank era, it means they have pursued, you and I might agree, or probably agree, they have pursued bad policies for the better part of 20 years. But there's only been about three years of pain. There was a couple, 2000 to 2002-ish, there was pain in the market and the economy. 08 was compressed into a year. It should have scared people. Off of this kind of policy, but it didn't. So you've had three years of pain, and now we've had eight years of up, where basically one and one can make five. Any number you wanted. Whether you want to talk about real estate, you know, art, stocks. So I'm, this is a long way of saying people have been trained that oh yeah, you know, these little bumps happen, but they don't last very long, and they don't remember So they've had three bad years out of twenty. And then I remember, that. and the newer, so you got a whole generation of people who don't have any idea that stocks can go down for more than five minutes. And now in the last eight or nine years they haven't. So, what I'm trying to make a point is, it's not shocking to me that so many people believe this nonsense. And you have to have real sense extrapolating
0: of extrapolating the last twenty years. Yeah, um, and
1: twenty yeah. years is a long time, especially if you're only thirty.
0: Yeah, and actually, or forty. People, right, right.
1: And and the thing of it is, is what I've learned is. Really, really bad policies can persist for way longer than you would think possible. The Soviet Union took seventy years to collapse, right. plus or minus. You know, we see them try over again in, you know, Venezuela. You know, it's been taking a decade for that thing to fall apart. So bad po- So I mean, a decade's not a long time in history. Seventy years isn't, but in measured in people's lifetimes, tens a decent chunk. Seventy is a whole lot, and so. We have a whole generation of people who have no clue about how markets really have worked historically, and they think that we're in some new era. And, of course, with human nature, there's but, never any new eras, Right.
0: Yeah. And every time they say it's a new era, that's the time your, your antenna should go up. Um, but, you know, it's whatever you think of, you know, Donald Trump, we are seeing kind of a global anti-elitist movement, it seems like to me. You know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think, you know, these policies are eventually going to be fixed? I think, you know. I mean, this is a whole, I'm, I'm hoping. No no, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no.
1: I, I, um, I, I think the problems that created Donald Trump was, quite frankly, the Fed. Right. The it, it, it slays me. I think Paul Krugman is, he's a very bitter human being, judging by, I can't even read his writings, but he's a complete idiot when it comes to economics because he rails constantly against the 1% like they did something wrong to get that way. But anyway, and he, and he advocates for the Fed to do the very things that the Fed has done, which created the bifurcation of the 1% between them and everyone else. So I think Trump was elected because enough people in America are fed up everyone who voted for him knew he was a wild man, thin-skinned, egomaniac, prone to do anything. But they said, you know what? I am so sick and tired of the status quo because I don't see how the status quo is ever going to do me any good. And they may not be able to articulate it as the, the Fed. And I might be wrong in my analysis. I don't think so. But I, I, uh, um, and, and so that brought us Trump and that's brought other changes other places. People are fed up the central bankers are the elitist you got 8 or 10 people in a room you know dick, making up these policies and they've never been right in their lives basically and they and these policies are
0: completely warping markets all over the place well it's 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 wild for them to say we are trying to create a wealth effect to help the economy, but we're not responsible for wealth disparity. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, right, right. Ridiculous. And all
1: by the way, they're probably all the kind of people that say, oh, trickle-down economics doesn't work, right. when that's the exact same thing they're trying to do.
0: Right, exactly. The
1: portfolio balance <laughs> yeah. channel.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the Taylor Rule and, you know, basically just going to more of a systematic type of a policy?
1: I, I look, there... On the one extreme, on the on the one extreme where things are anchored, you have the gold standard. On the other extreme, you have what we have today, right. where they pick a rate, negative whatever, and they make up whatever they need to do. To they change the rules, mm-hmm. they we're, we want more inflation, except they specifically have built an index in America called the CPI, which almost cannot register inflation no matter what because right. of now how it's constructed there's a, I wrote a half a chapter in my book about that. And I still, to this day, I don't see why people don't talk about the fact that the CPI is complete garbage in terms of an index. But in any case, um, uh, so there's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing that gets these people. There's no accountability. You know, there's no accountability on the central bankers or what they do. And, uh, so they're winging it, and so okay, so so now, so so we've got a group these group of people who 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 are constantly winging it, but they have no idea what they're doing. And um, so, the least bad monetary policy is the gold standard, okay? Because of its checks and balances, and the fact that it put tends to put a break on lunacy sooner, which means that you can't kick the can as long. It means the hangover from the party isn't as bad. And you can't, go, you, can't, you can't spend 20 years not dealing with issues you should have because you can keep kicking the can. You can't really kick the can on the gold standard very well, right? I mean, we did manage to have the 20s and then the 30s. But, you know, also the gold standard was around when we had uh, the big bust in 1920 and the boom that lasted for nine years after that that was messed up by the Fed. So, So I think... Some variation. What Volcker tried to do was the monetary equivalent of the gold center, whereby he said, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to focus on the quantity money. Now, you can't really know. There's no precision. But he said, look, we got a rule. At least he had a rule. So since I think these central bankers are also incompetent, I favor the gold center just because I don't want them making decisions. You know, the gold center doesn't really require an FOMC. Right. Much.
0: But, but like you pointed out in the 20s you know we were still on the gold standard but we were fed on the was, gold exchange standard which is okay. slightly different but the fed we need way jim grant yeah yeah right and created this right. i mean the, right. the 28 it, 29 it, it, you know
1: yeah exactly
0: disaster
1: exactly so i mean we'd need jim grant to give us the fine details between yeah. the gold and the the, and the gold standard and the, uh, the the dollar gold standard Right. having said that i mean um, you know, then th- th- we could argue that the 30s turned out to be the 30s
0: because of the policies of the government and other things, too. So, you know, well, it's, it's it- encouraging to me to see this anti-elitist movement from the standpoint that if, if there's anything to take the power out of the hands, out of, you know, academics trying to micromanage the economy. You know uh, this uh, movement towards you know more populism might might be a wave of something that could usher in you know hey let's let's take away the discretion at the Fed and come up with you know systems systematic policy but but but
1: I don't think the voters can do that
0: right Right. the
1: the financial so the stock market's not going to take what I like to say is the printing press has to be
0: taken away from the central bankers. So, and, and that's probably I, where we go back to a gold standard. You have that type of a, a, a development where, and you're talking about the printing press taken away, meaning, you know, the bond vigilantes, you know. Well, so, so, not-
1: so it turns out that there never really were any bond vigilantes, they're only yield pigs, right, right? And the slope of the yield curve created the lack of bond buyers, it was so massively negatively uh, uh, inverted. That uh, I mean, um, it was so steeply inverted. I mean to say um, that 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 they, they, they talked about the bond vigilantes. This is the slope of the yield curve, that, and, and and but but the the yield curve was as it was because Volcker was doing what he was doing.
0: But I, I think of bond vigilantes, in terms of the people who say, okay, wait, the the government finances are getting out of control. Yeah, well, yeah, that's going to no, 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 no. Well, this, that, that's what anymore. we
1: that's what we need. Yeah, M- my point was. If they ever existed, where the hell are they now? Right, yeah. So, I, what I'm saying is, the bond vigilantes got credit for the 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 backup in rates in, 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 when uh, when Volcker was invo- involved, and 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 there probably were some who said, "Wait, this is the wrong rate." But more likely, it was the yield pigs who like to take bonds and lever them up that couldn't lever them up when the curve is inverted. They can lever them up when it's normalized, right. you know, and so. What, but, but what I do mean to say is, at some point, f- coupon clippers, fixed income owners, who ought to be the real vigilantes, will say, look, I'm not taking this 2% coupon or 1% or minus 10 basis points when inflation's running at 2, 3, or whatever, than 4, whatever the number is. And, uh, and when the bond market, when when, the cent- when a central bank loses, uh, uh, one of the G7 central banks loses the, the bond market or the currency market, it's game over.
0: Well, so, because, so how did they, the question I have is how do they lose the bond market when they're you know in the bond market so heavily? You
1: that's a, I mean? that's a great question. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the, but the answer is when the market changes its mind, the central banks don't, don't, don't necessarily win. Now we've seen that to some small degree in the, it, it took about a year of easier money in 00, sorry, 01 to 02 before the markets got confidence, before the stock market got confidence again. Same in 08. They were easing, and it didn't work. People are scared. So we've seen a little bit where the stocks, at least, haven't quite believed it would work, right? True, so, true. So, so yeah. there was the, 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 this, the feds and everyone doing what they're doing, and they didn't believe it, and it didn't work because they didn't believe it. Now we'll talk about bonds. There's the the, the pile of fixed income in the world is so enormous that if the bond collective mood of the bond owners in the world decide that they're getting cheated on the rates or they start to think about inflation or they think that the central bank can't ride to the rescue or whatever, rates will start to rise. And when rates start to rise and it's not sponsored by the central bank, which is going to happen, I believe is going to happen. Then all of a sudden you take the printing press away. When the, when the central banks cannot ease and have the bond market jump higher in Pavlovian fashion, when they ease and the bond market goes down, it's game over. Then 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 then, then, then you've taken the printing press away from, them, and that means they can't they can't ride to the rescue for the stocks or the bonds, and then you're going to have a real uh, train wreck, and we will have to solve our issues. That's the um, that's. That's what I had hoped would happen sooner than it has. It could also happen in the currency market, but it's hard to happen in the currency market when all the G7 countries are all doing the same thing. Right. right. So it's only the bond market. I mean, why would anyone accept the coupons that they're offering you? It's, you're guaranteed to lose money.
0: It's you know, it is absolutely you know,
1: on, on an after inflation, right? Real returns are negative, yeah.
0: I mean, all around the world, with every sovereign, you know, credit. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and but it's astounding what they're able to accomplish to it today. And, and this might be just a function of the passive investing, but I, I believe this price insensitive passive investing really begins with the central <laughs> banks, you know, the quantitative easing is price insensitive buying. It's just, you know, just buying to support prices. And basically investors that just followed their lead and we're gonna just buy assets, you know, regardless of price too. Um, So, you know, but you look at, you know, I was talking with Steve Bregman and he talks about, you know, Lebanon bonds are yielding, you know, five and a half percent. People are buying Lebanon bonds at five and a half percent and they haven't even issued GDP in the last 10 years. Well, so, hell, I mean, so there's, that you know, goddamn like Japanese
1: are you're paying you're getting minus nine or plus nine. I don't remember haven't looked recently for ten year JGBs, and they're broke. Yeah, they're broke. Yeah. I mean, in the end, they're gonna they're, 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 the the Moth's gonna forgive the or sorry the, BO, the Boj is gonna forgive
0: the Moth's debt. So, so that's what, yeah. So that's you know, uh, Japan is really ground zero for this whole experiment, right? Because they're so far ahead of. All the other central banks. Well,
1: I th- I they they they're, 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 they're so much crazier. They're so far out there. I mean, look, they are they are beyond incompetent at the BOJ. I mean, they, they 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 presided over this epic bubble in stocks and real estate, and then they they can't do anything right in the interim, and then finally 20 years later they come in with the, you know, mother of all QE's, right? Right. Uh, so they are ground zeroed for uh, uh, for incompetence. That's well, you know, for sure. It's,
0: it's funny to me that you know investors around the world don't look at okay, great. You know the European Central Bank, the, you know the Fed, they're doing these policies, but you know the Bank of Japan is way ahead of the curve in terms of these policies, and look at where it's gotten them. It's fascinating to me that investors don't just look at that. Look at the evidence.
1: Yeah, like you mean QE doesn't work
0: exactly. QE <laughs> yeah. doesn't work, and you know buying up half your. Half your ETFs in your own country does doesn't work. The stock market, no, you know, like, no, no. Oh, so, people
1: done. don't understand that the, the, the average sophisticated person, if that's not a head twister, doesn't understand the power of psychology. So, th- you gave an example of how psychology matters, and that same power of psychology is how someday, could be in three months, could be in a couple, I don't know that the Bond markets are going to turn on these central bankers. I don't know what the catalyst is going to be. I don't know what the exact um, connection of dots is going to be. But at some point, they're going to say, there's no reason to own these coupons. I would have thought that when they said, look, we're not going to allow deflation. We have a printing press. It's the only thing Bernanke's ever said that I totally agreed with. And and yet people still act as like deflation is possible. How is it possible if you can monetize this shit out of anything you need to? Right.
0: Yeah, it's they'll never let that happen. And that's now, that's something when they, they take control. away the printing press.
1: Yeah. Now, n- now it's possible. Yeah. That's a step down yeah.
0: down the road. But you know. Well, I, I want to transition and dig into your your process a little bit more. I I, um, I read uh, a, a recent biography of Jesse Livermore. I read it about a year ago. It came out recently. And it's called Boy Plunger. And there's a wonderful chapter that talks about his process. In shorting the nineteen twenty nine crash, uh, and he you know made a hundred million dollars in his personal account. Back when hundred million dollars with yeah, no it was money, a ton of money. <laughs> and so it was fascinating to to read his process through that time. And the first thing I thought of when I'm reading this is it sounds like you it, that he he would just put out you know what do you call it? like just a feelers tap, feelers he would put out feelers he yeah. put out a feeler and if the market didn't feel right he'd take it back out and so you know he called his process tape reading. Yeah, And just a process of watching the tape for years and getting for a feel how the markets move. And I don't uh, know of anybody in the markets that I would call a tape reader more than, than you. I mean, do would, would you think your process is that kind of a tape reading type of a process? Uh,
1: no. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm flattered <laughs> okay. that you put me in the same conversation with him, although he did kill himself. but right. um, uh, And
0: went broke three no, or four yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: you know, yeah. No, um, but but... What I will, I I don't I don't I don't need to put out little positions to probe. I mean, I used to kind of do that to see how it feels. Now I can see how it feels without putting money up, right? You know, but but so I've been through. So I've been. This is my fourth bubble count in Japan. Okay, right. so you know, and I learned something really interesting in the Japanese bubble. So I learned this way back in '89 that in a craze, a mania when things get expensive, the next thing that happens is they get more expensive. So when the 99 bubble came around, I didn't get run over in internet names because I knew that they could go crazy. But I got hurt in stocks like Gateway and Dell where I said, wait a second. In late 1999, everyone was buying hardware constantly anyway but on top of that we had Y2K. Well, after they redid everything for Y2K, there was going to be a big black hole afterwards, right? Because everyone had replaced all their stuff. And, uh, and, and, and and PC companies, I would tell people, it's a PC company. It's like making TV sets. There's nothing special. I was sure Gateway and Compaq and just this pedestrian crap, which most of them got out of business right, or got acquired and, and, and sent pennies on the dollar, and so I got run over in those names because people decided, well, if you know pets.com can trade for fifty billion, then we should pay this amount up for. So, but but so I but but I, but I but I learned in that period I had originally set my short fund up where I had to be short always. I couldn't modulate my exposure much. I had to always be short because people were afraid you were going to miss it if you weren't short. They were still thinking like eighty seven, right? And I realized after the the ninety eight to early two thousand period was just brutal because I you know I couldn't really get out of the way very well. So I changed the strategy in the beginning of two thousand, where I didn't have to be short if I didn't want to be. I could be tactically short. So what I so what I because what I realized is was even in crazy periods it used to be hasn't been this way. Companies would miss numbers, they'd take them down, and then in earnings season you'd get this cumulative effect, and you could make money. Then when earnings season ended, we would go into what. Fred Hickey and I would call the no news period because there's no sober news. It was just arm waving on the part of the companies and conferences and stuff like that. So I started to do this where I got very tactical in my, in, in my shorting and, I, and I, I did have rules about, okay, I'm not going to turn this into an investment position unless I have certain things that are happening. And then I got even more rules about, well, I'm not even going to be short unless there's, they're losing confidence in the central bank. The market's rolled over. Uh, individual stocks are rolling over. Stocks are going down on bad news. A I, I, small set of common sense-oriented rules. And, but those have stood me um, in good stead. And so those I developed in the first bubble, and I used them well, so I never got really dinged up in the second bubble. And then when it burst, I mean, it, I was able to make a decent amount of money. And then it kept me out of trouble for the last eight years. I haven't even been, I mean, I've dabbled on the short side a couple of times. but So it's more about, I I, I sort of have a really strong opinion about how to go about making money on the short side if you're a short only guy. Now, there's different ways to skin the cat. Like Mark Cahotis is spectacular at what he does, and he finds these crappy companies with bad management, and they're frauds, and he goes after them. The problem is, it's difficult enough to get a company with honest people admit the truth. When you got frauds, so you have to be ready to go through a a, a lot of torture before you win. And then, oh, man. You know,
0: yeah, D- David Einhorn wrote a book about yes, the ten-year yes. short battle. Yeah, exactly. Did, he was dead right. Exactly. And it's still exactly. Painful, exactly. You know? so, yeah, it's, so
1: I don't really want to do it that way. Yeah. But I mean, I have immense respect for Mark, and he's in, he's on a big win streak right now. A bunch of his shitty Canadian companies are falling apart. Right. In other words, so he's on a roll, and he, and, 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 and and good for him. I don't want to, that's, way, that's just way too much uh, mental stress for me. So I've, uh, I've sort of figured out, I want to I get the sweet spot of making money on the short side. I don't want to catch the top. I, wanna, I, wanna, I like to say, I want to shoot them in the back. I want them to roll over and start to go down and be responding to bad news. Because you make all your money on the short side by pressing at the right time and then getting out of the way at the right time. It's it's not about the research file that you built. It's about knowing when it's safe to express your opinion. And when it's not safe, oh, I put it on. Oh, I got to get out of the way, right? So this is how what I've come to, to learn from, you know, being basically on the short side for 20 years, even though I haven't been active on it for the last eight Um and so I have a whole group of rules, and that's how I look at it, because I want to make money when I can make money without without having unusually high amount of risk. And so I always I look at every position I take on by how much am I gonna lose if I'm wrong? It's the first thing I think about is okay, so where am I getting out? Where am I getting out if I'm putting this on, right? right. So I mean, you know, you and I were talking about the semis earlier. There are they are a they are one of the fattest pitches out there in that end markets are saturated. There's a huge cell phone build going on in China and they're going to way over build because there's, you know, a zillion producers and they all think they're going to make take market share and none of them will. And there's too much capacity. Then there's. Autos, which has been the saving grace for a lot of these chip companies, except now we're seeing there's excess auto inventories, uh, residuals are going down, the used car market is telling you there's a problem with autos, it's all been pulled forward. So you got PCs are nowhere, servers are still okay, um, you got cell phones which are saturated. This Apple iPhone 8 is another Me Too product. How it does, I'm taking the under on what everyone thinks, but that doesn't really matter. There's enough there's enough problems out there that these, these semiconductor companies are so tipped up. And the thing that people don't recall is when you have excess inventory and it gets too much, orders stop. And these quarters go from they think they're going to make $0.60 cents to make 20 or some number. And these things have all been running up. They've ignored bad news, but I'm not sure a share of them right now.
0: I, well, you know, I I, I remember, you know, the, the, a lot of the best short targets for us in the late 90s were the semiconductor stocks. Right. You could see them stuff the channel. Yes. You could see it on on the cash flow statement. And then I would see, you know, three or four insiders dump a ton of stock. And yeah, because they had to paint you, the garage. Right. And you would go, okay, they're, gonna, they're not exactly. going to make the quarter exactly. next quarter. You know? And you're so
1: already like, seeing res- what happens to this. Days, um, receivables start to blow up. Inventories balloon. I mean, you know, uh, receivables balloon. Inventories balloon. And that's and it's all starting to happen. But I have not seen a site. So in my last 20 years, I haven't seen a cycle like this where they've been so willing to ignore these signs. These signs would normally start to matter. But in this cycle, well, nothing seems to matter. Yeah, it's, you know, it's
0: fascinating to watch. You know, people forget that semis are so cyclical; they're cyclical businesses, right? You know? And they're trading today as if they're, you know, things are going to be great indefinitely.
1: Well, and and the other thing is, you can get a lot of data points on them because they're all their customers and all their suppliers are public companies. Right. So you can listen to enough conference calls, like my friend Fred Hickey does. I mean, nobody knows these things better than he does. Right. And there, 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 there's a huge list of these popular stocks. They're going to get annihilated. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but for right now, nothing matters. Right. So the, sort of the trick is to start to build a list, know what you're going to go after, why, what you're kind of looking for, and then wait
0: for some sign that it might be safe to do it. So you're talking about uh, reactions in the marketplace on you know, bad news, bad quarter, and actually people selling the stock instead of you know, it sells off and comes right back. Or... So if you went through the checklist,
1: okay, yeah. the Fed's not in the easing mode. Right. But they still have tons of credibility, and there's still the residue coming off the balance sheet and the other central banks. So that's not a great environment for shorting, except the stock market was kind of stalled out here in America. And then we had this immense run after the election based on premises of things that are not going to happen. So that's kind of interesting. But, you know, the market's been hitting new highs. I personally don't like to short stocks that are hitting new highs or the market. But it looks like, you know, maybe there's some exhaustion. So what I would like to see is the market break. Have some kind of a failing rally. The beauty about a failing rally is it tells you where you need to get out. You're wrong. It's, you know, so you get a failing rally to get started on. You get a failing rally in individual stocks. You can put stuff on. You know where you're getting out. You know where
0: you're going to be told you're wrong. Which is if it, if it does make a new high. right? So you, you see an initial decline. It rallies back up. It doesn't make a new high. And that's your opportunity to maybe put out some feelers well, yeah, like a Jesse yeah. Livermore stock. And if it does make a new high, then you take them yeah, off.
1: Yeah, because... Most big declines, there's a bit of a, there's a failing rally or two or three or whatever. Yeah. So the failing rally tells you there's information. Ah, maybe maybe it's finally over. Maybe we've seen exhaustion in these manias. Nothing ends the mania except exhaustion. And so you can't say, well, I want the. You don't know, but when, so if you have a failing rally, finally, maybe there's a sign of exhaustion. Plus, you know where you're gonna how you're gonna get out, right? Okay, my premise is. We've exhausted ourselves as a failing rally. So if it gets back up there to, to where it came from, it doesn't necessarily make a new high, but if it starts doing that. Then you say, OK, I'm wrong. Now you might have to dance around. I might go up there and wiggle around. You might have to do a lot of shucking and jiving along the way. But that's right. the principle, right? Yeah. And then you can use the same principle of the individual stocks. You put on a starter kit of these few things. And if it starts to work, then you got to go to town and lean on it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know. This is fascinating to me because, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Stan Druckenmiller and, you know, he gave a speech a couple of years ago where he talked to, I think he, I'm going to mess up the quote, but he said 80% of the big money that he made over his in the bear market. career was in the bear market. Yeah. It was, it was essentially what he said, taking advantage of central bank mistakes, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's these opportunities, like you said, pressing the short side when it's time to do that, he said 80% of the big money he made was, was doing that. So, yeah. and, you know, over the last 20 years, if you look at opportunities to, to do that, I mean, that 2008, if you were positioned right, I mean, look at all the guys who were heroes a few years ago, you know, John Paulson. Yeah, like well, you know, the, the and, problem
1: you know, the problem with 2008 from the short selling standpoint, so, like, I was up 42% that year, I, and I'm saying that, like, because I'm admitting that I didn't do a very good job, <laughs> If you'd have told me the S&P was going to be down 38 or whatever it was, I'd have said, I'll be up 70 or some big number. Right. The problem was they kept changing the rules on you. And the volatility was so insane that, you know, I mean, I was glad to be up 42% that year, um, but I sort of felt like I should have done better. But except for there were, we had, I had these immense drawdowns and I'm trying to be careful because, oh, you know, man, when some they- Some of those rallies, Well, they you know, changed they the, well, yeah. The, yeah. the treasury's you can, coming. Well, I had, I had these guys I knew that were running a market neutral fund called, you know, one night that when they said that um they're going to ban the selling of financials. And of course, anybody who wanted to be a financial could be IBM, Winnebago, et cetera. But it blew up all these long short books. So they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't really accomplish what they wanted to. They blew up more guys that were not- you know, making money on the short side why they should have targeted them i mean they weren't really trying to do that they were just trying to stop they're stupid enough to think that that was going to stop the carnage in the financials um but that year was so insanely volatile that you know it was so easy to get run over oh, that, yeah. That, yeah. That it was it was it was tricky
0: yeah those rallies I remember you know during when you know. Over the weekend, you know, Fed and the Treasury had getting together with the you know tops of the you know Citibank, JP Morgan, and then they come out and announce some huge you know bazooka you know program and market rallies huge. You oh, think, oh, maybe that's the bottom, and then it was so insanely stressful.
1: And I tell you what, people don't appreciate how close we came to losing the system. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would tell people, look, I'm short, I'm long gold. I got a custodial account where I can move all our assets immediately so we can't, you know, if Goldman Sachs traded like two bucks lower, we were gonna, I was going to close the fund, move our assets, and go to cash and just let things. I, I say to people, I'm short, I'm long gold, I got a custodial account ready to go, and I'm scared to death.
0: Yeah. well, you know, and, I, I and how are you? How many people realize that it wasn't I don't, the Fed met. that actually saved the economy and the markets, it was just the repeal of mark-to-market accounting? Yeah. As soon as they said, you don't have to mark to market anymore, you can mark to make-believe, that was the, the day the market bottomed.
1: Well, and, and plus I think also you know, the money they, they'd done and the damage had been done and, you know, and all. Yeah. I think that it was cons- – It was well, when the
0: banks overnight went from being insolvent to solvent just right. based on the but then, rules.
1: But then, but then basically everyone had to go with the wink-wink, right? Sure. You oh, know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, again, psychology. Yeah, the point I was making earlier, right. psychology—how powerful it can well, be. It is. I
0: mean, that, and that's a great point because it really is. Right now, the market is just a big confidence game. Absolutely. And, you know, and uh, uh, absolutely. You know, was it Kuroda has said, you know, the Peter Pan. You know, as soon as you doubt your ability to fly, you lose the ability to fly for the rest for forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like yeah. he knows that, right? It's it's all about the central banks keeping the psychology right. the, going the, the, and, because and, and, as and soon as the psychology shifts it's over they yeah. can't do anything about it and,
1: and one day it will we just don't know what the precipitating yeah. set of events will be and you know I, I you uh, I think that given the structure of the market between the ETFs and uh, how they have have um, um, there's an illusion of liquidity that doesn't exist the, the, the hot money the ETFs And all the algos and the derivatives. It's all the. It's all and the people selling vol. Those are all those things and things that we don't even know about are going to conspire on the way down to uh, 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 um, make everything go in one direction. Same as portfolio insurance did. The illusion, the, the what the fallacy of portfolio insurance was, the liquidity was assumed to be there at every price at all times, and it wasn't true. And that's what people think now. We are, there's going to. I don't see how the market can unwind without a crash. Now we also know the central banks have sponsored this bubble. They don't call it a bubble, but they have take, taken credit, so they are going to ride to the rescue sooner than they might have in the past. I think that doesn't mean you can't have a big air pocket, but but in terms of a meaningful future of how things are going to un- uh, unfold, we're going to have a big wipeout and the central banks are going to ride to the rescue. And when that happens, we're going to get to see about what the next five years after that are going to look like or two or three. Do people believe them? You know, How far does it go? With it? That, that's what I think anyway. So while I'm kind of excited about the opportunity to make money on the short side, I know it's just a trade. The part that interests me is what happens when the central banks ride right to the rescue. Do they start to take the printing press away, or what weird things happen? That's where real investment it's opportunities gonna are going to be. Oh, I hope or not. You know, they yeah. may not be. But yeah. you know, if they believe them again, I think I'll go back to. I'll see if I can get a job <laughs> writing code, cutting code
0: somewhere. Maybe yeah. I can get a beginner's position in Microsoft, it. an entry level position in Microsoft. Yeah, right. You know, you talk about the uh, the stress of you know. Uh, operating from the short side yeah especially when the powers that be are conspiring against you how do you um how do you, how do you deal with that that stress i mean you know physically i know you're a tennis player i mean you just go bang it out on the tennis court and you know
1: well i go to the gym too you know and all that but um and i i would never have survived either of the two meanings if it. it hadn't been for you know working out and yeah playing tennis and stuff but um this go-round hasn't been as stressful yeah. because I'm not doing day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat. That's a great point, yeah. And, but, but I learned that. I mean, I mean I know for a fact, the, the 98 to 2000 period, the 18 months from October of 98 until March of 2000, was 18 months, was like 10 years for me. The, the real estate bubble, they really only got to me in the last six months because what happened was, when the very first first payment default started in early 2007, I knew the real estate bubble was over and I knew the economy was going to get taken with it and the whole thing was going to be a disaster. And of course, <coughs> the only stocks who really responded were the SumPrime and Alt A lending guys, and the rest of the market kind of took off and it kept rolling into the summer of. So that six month period kind of made my head spin and that was pretty stressful and then trying to make money in the 08 break was stressful too because uh, they were changing the rules all the time so in the last eight years i've mostly messed around on the metals market and um of Course the only thing that's harder than the uh, being short <laughs> is being long gold stocks or gold. I mean, Jesus. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, when when What's it? we are- should get a degree of difficulty
1: premium <laughs> when we get paid. Oh, you made hundred bucks in gold, you get one fifty. <laughs> right.
0: You made it in silver, you get one eighty. <laughs> You made it in minors, you get 2x. You know, that's also a great point as to where we are in terms of the the cycle in precious metals, you know, too. I think it's fascinating. I, I just see so many parallels today, you know, between today and that 2000, you know, time period where financial assets were just so loved and You know, real assets and gold was just, you know, dirt cheap back in two thousand. And I I see a lot of similarities today where, you know, we talk I mean, I call it the everything bubble, stock Yeah, I think it's a great name for it. Is everything is overvalued and Because everything's priced
1: off of government paper, which is dramatically manipulated by the central banks.
0: And you know, you look at yeah, how how cheap is gold relative to financial assets? And it's probably I think the last time it was as cheap was two thousand.
1: Really? So yeah. ba- ba- basically, I haven't really looked at it that way. I, I, have, I have not um, been able to use kind of ratios and things like that to, to, to help me all that much. But so, so, so basically, 1,800 gold equivalent, uh, is the equivalent of $300 gold. so we're not 1,800. What am I talking about? We're 1,200. So 1,200 is equivalent to 300. So for, okay, I can
0: believe that. Well, I mean and it's you know I I can't remember who put it out but it was one of the big houses put out the ratio of yeah, financial assets I, to real assets. Yeah, no, no, I I, I I know I what you're talking about. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, the difference between the S and P and the gold price and when you just subtract, you know, gold from the S and P, you know, you get to a a number today that is as low as it was back in two thousand. Oh, right, right. We're just looking right. at the difference between. Yeah, no, no, yeah, okay. So I, I yeah. think that's pretty fascinating. And yeah, because the S and P
1: is a big index, right? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, and it's not goofy like the Dow, right? Where they cap right. weight it and they rearrange it. Like, right. there's only thirty stocks, and they rearrange them every, yeah. you know, so often. Is, and
0: still, sentiment wise, in terms of gold, every time it sells off, you just see the gold haters just come out of the woodwork, and then, you know, they just. Love to pounce on you know the, the right and say it's going under a thousand. Know, it's going to well. Go, the
1: so. thing about the thing about gold is everybody's got an opinion and and no one knows anything. Right. Because what are you going to know?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, <laughs> supply and demand is not going to change that dramatically, yeah. except for investment demand, yeah. which is a function of, you know, it's sort of the it's a it's a function of the uh the inverse of 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 uh confidence in the central banks right so you know investment demand is the only thing they can change to really change anything and it's hard to get a feel for that so everyone looks you know and they, I, I you know i see i see people write these articles all the time and i can tell they don't know anything right. i mean i don't really know anything i was a director of uh, pan american silver which is one of the bigger silver producers for 15 years and um you know I know, know, I know enough about silver and gold to know that I don't have a clue where the price is. All I can do is kind of look and see how is it behaving and is it responding to the news in a certain way and all that kind of stuff. And But I mean, I can't believe the number of people who think that they know how it's, where it should be priced down to about three decimal
0: points. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the uh, taking the printing press away, if the central banks are in the bond market so heavily, we might... See that type of activity in the in the precious metals before we even see it in the bond market.
1: Could could well I, I think they're 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 they they're, they're similar psychology. Yeah.
0: Right. Lack of confidence. Right. So confidence is buy buy you know treasuries. Right. Lack of confidence is I'm selling my treasuries going to precious metals. Right.
1: So, right. Yeah. So uh, you know we're not. I don't think we're going to have any chance to know how that's going to play out until stocks crack, and then the the, the Fed is once again shown that their policies didn't lead to a self sustaining recovery. Here they are having to rescue the stock market again. I don't know if that the next version of that is going to sober people up or it will be that in conjunction with something else. I don't know, but the, the, uh, if their policies worked, Trump wouldn't be president.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is a total change-up from where we've been. We probably need another—I need to refresh my glass of wine to, <laughs> to move on to this next— <laughs> Um, you are more than most, most, uh, professionals, you know, guys that, uh, you know, you read about whatever you're, you're very generous with your time, your opinions. Where does, where does that come from? I don't, (laughs) I've really thought about it. I, uh,
1: you know, um, maybe you, are you referring to the Q and A on my site? I'm
0: not, not just your site, but, um, you know, I, I, uh, I loved your you – know, I'm a Real Vision fan and I, I loved your interview with Grant and you, know, you gave Grant you know uh, generous – I mean you, 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 well, but it's you've had people, me here in your house for yeah, an hour it's, now. It's easy to
1: do it if, if they're people you, you like. Yeah. Like Bubble Vision calls me, emails me. They want me to come on. I can't stand the network. I think they're the devil. They embody everything that's wrong in the financial markets. Well, it's so the and, and hold propaganda is the whole Yeah, thing It's it. just it's everything that's wrong. So I I don't I don't like them. I don't go on. I, I you know, nothing against the individual people there, but I don't like what they stand for. Some of the people are jerks, but uh, um,
0: But I mean you were you were writing for MSN for a long time. Well, I mean I've, re- I've read your I, stuff Yeah, I, because so for what happened time.
1: so what happened was I started writing this column in ninety six, which is a complete fluke how that happened. And um and then uh uh, I moved it to, uh, to, to to Jim grant's when he had an online site, and then I, sp- I briefly spent time you know behind enemy lines there at realmoney dot com which is part of the street dot com which was a torturous task and then i 'd set up my own website and when I set up my own website, I decided to have a q and A because I would get emails from people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like answering them, because usually if somebody sends you an email, five other people have the same question. So when I set up my website, I put in this Q&A for people to ask questions. And I have come to find, I think I spend more time on that a lot of times than I do on the column, because quite frankly, Lately, there's been nothing to say. Right. So there's no point in writing a column about, you know, describing the inner wiggles of stuff that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> yeah. Who gives a crap if Cat was up and Deer was down and, you know, Eli Lilly was takeover rumor. You know, I'm making stuff up. But, yeah. um, so in uh, the, the, and, and the Q&A, a- answering the questions, people send me information. I get stuff I wouldn't necessarily see. Um, having to answer the questions, I have to clear, up my, I have to clear my own head because I have to be consistent. Right. And, you know, I'm against these manias which run in big sweeps of time. So it's easy for people to say, oh, wait, you told me that two years ago. You're crazy, right? And that's what happens in these, right. in, these, in these big manias is the people that point out that they can't possibly work and what's wrong with them, they lose all credibility because it goes on longer than the average person can think that, you know, they think, oh, it's a bad policy. It shouldn't last very long. They, well, they don't understand. They just yeah. go a long time.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, Carl Icahn, was it, almost two years ago, came out with his Danger Ahead video on his website. To try and, you know, and part of that video was saying, you know, if more guys like me had come out well, look, and yeah. warned in well, look 2005, what Look what Stan did. Oh, and he's ridiculed a year later. Yeah. Stan Brooklyn, right? Well, and he, mean, he, because he, so,
1: he's the genius that he is, he flips on election nights to get long. But, um, I don't know if he's still long. I mean, whether, but, um, um, so,
0: um, but so, but it's but you so, subject yourself to this criticism and whatever. And I mean, it, it, uh,
1: yeah, but I mean, uh, so I don't, you know, so I only do interviews or do things for they people that I that I respect and like, um, uh, and uh, so it, it just, it's just not like it's not like it's every hour every day, right? It's not it's not it doesn't require that much time. The website requires time, but like I said, I've, I've got some I've got a lot of these reader people that have been been readers for twenty years. Right. A lot of them have been around for quite a long time. So I don't know. It's just part of what. You know, my routine is now, you know, I can't imagine not doing it. I mean, some days I get fed up, of course, like anything, but, but, um, so uh, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I've done anything all that heroic, quite frankly.
0: Well, you know, maybe not heroic, but, uh, you know, most people don't want to, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to go against the grain then to put yourself out there publicly. Well, in, I mean, when way, you get to, sh- is... when
1: you get, when, when all your mistakes are live in real time, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, Oh, this piece of crap that you own, you know, just got drilled because of this, or you're short this thing and it's up the limit, you know, I mean, that's not fun. Right. But you
0: know, what can you do? I mean, yeah. well, I, I don't know. I, I think there are just a few folks. I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to come here and talk to you is because you have been consistent about trying to educate people and inform people about these central bank policies and whatnot. And, it's, and it is, to a certain extent, you know, a voice in the, in the wilderness. Right? There's not a whole lot of people out there you know, that are, are trying to spread this message, and I think it's something that needs spreading. Right. You know, and, uh, look, I was naive even have to think,
1: OK, I'm going to write this book. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to explain it all to everybody. Well, here, look, look how dumb I am. <laughs> I thought after the first stock bubble, people would sober up and that would be that. Remember, my, right. I set up the whole fund, my fund. And I thought, OK. And then and then when nothing like that happened and we had the bigger, crazier, more devastating, leveraged uh, lending and real estate bubble. I naively thought, okay, I, I wrote this book. I chronicled all the, the, the crimes the Fed had committed, you know, financial war crimes, so to speak. And I thought, this is going to really make a difference. People are going to read this, and they're going to realize the Fed's the problem, and that's going to change thinking and all of that. And how dumb was I? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really? Well, that's one so, I, I mean, come on. That's one Nobody the, cared. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing. My favorite thing about writing that book is, honest to God, it's in about 15 different languages a friend of mine was in a bookstore in Mongolia and he found a copy of it in Russian. Wow. It's even in Bulgarian. It's oh all way. these little bitty languages. Oh so God. that part's kind of cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. That, that part. Yeah. So look, I feel like, I feel like from a personal standpoint, I did what I could.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, uh, but no one cared. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm three bubbles in. Not four. I was a little too young for the Japanese, you know, bubble. But um, is thinking that you know you get quickly disabused of the notion that you're going to be able to convince people with logic. <laughs> right? Yes, because yes. You know, there's, yeah. there's other no. forces at work, yeah. right? Like but, psychology. Exactly. It's not. It's not logic. But no. Um, I got. I got one more question for you. What um, What is the, the the most common misconception about you? What do, What do people get wrong about Bill Fleckenstein? Oh, I think, I, I see people call, I, I see people, okay, w- w- what bugs
1: me when people say it, how about that? Okay, okay. When people call me a perma bear. Right. Because, first of all, the connotation of a perma bear is some dour, you know, <laughs> you know, sackcloths and ashes, like, like, zero hedge. Right. They won't be happy till the world ends. Right. When the world right. ends, they'll be happy. Yeah, okay. they're probably the per- only
0: real per- perma bear yeah. out there.
1: Now, now. A, I'm not rooting for the world to end. Right. I, I was only... Root, I, I knew there were bad policies. I knew they were going to lend, lend, lead to disaster. And I was rooting for the for that to happen so everyone would see there are bad policies so we could fix them and pursue sane policies. So I was only... I was bearish because the policies forced me to be bearish. And I was hoping that the consequences of them would would put us on a better path. So... I'm not permanently bearish. I, I'm not even, I haven't expressed my view on the short side in eight years. I know it wouldn't work. So there's some pragmatism involved. So I don't like the connotation of being uh, called a perma bearer. And I don't think that I am. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to own stocks, even though I think they might be going up, because I know if they go in, look, if I believe in something it goes against me a certain amount, I can take it. If I don't believe it and it goes like an eighth against me, I'm out. Right. Yeah. I actually bought Facebook in 2000, was it 11, 12? I don't know. It traded at 26 and changed, 27. Right. Yeah. So I bought some. I don't know. I, it, it, you know, I'd come down. Uh, and it was so hated. And it traded in a way that I thought I understood. I thought, okay, I can. The goddamn thing went about a half a buck against me and I puked it. Oh, God. And now I, I made no money. <laughs> yeah. And now it's 150 <laughs> yeah, Now, yeah. I never would have stuck around for the whole part of the trade. Sure, but, sure. I mean, I did that. I mean, and after the mania, I owned some normal stocks like Eli Lilly and Microsoft and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I, I did the same thing with Apple. Back in 2001, um, the, the last quarter they missed before recently – I'd gotten along it because I, I really I really loved the iPod and I thought this is going to change everything for them and all this stuff and I and I could see it was going to be better for them. I was super bearish in everything else, right? But it was 01 yeah. so some of the air had come out. But now yeah, new new craziness was coming in. Yeah, they missed the quarter. I puked it. And I mean, if, it was probably like nine cents a share right. on you know, a split adjusted basis. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, but the point is, when you don't believe in the environment you're in or the thing, it's hard to stay with it. And so there's two examples of things that I did really pretty right for the right reasons. I didn't really believe in the environment because so, I, so I got sh- shaken. Whereas if I believe in something, I can let it go against me a certain amount in a, within a certain construct. So I got off on a tangent. I was talking about being perma bear uh, and
0: not being a perma bear. And and I was giving you a couple of examples. Just just the term perma bear isn't because you don't hear it at bottoms. Right. You don't hear it at bottoms. You hear it. when The markets are doing well and it's a psychological construct. Right. Rather than dealing with. The actual issue, issues that you're presenting with the market, right? You know, it's it's classic, you know, debate fallacy, right? Rather than dealing with your issues, I'm just going to call you a perma bear and write you up. Right, off. right, right. So it's almost a sentence. Well, yeah, when you get yeah, called yeah, a perma yeah. bear, well, I haven't been called right. it lately,
1: but I'm just saying over the years it's happened. Yeah, and um, and uh, and I think there's a connotation that you're you're out there yelling at the rain. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, yeah. and uh, so I, uh, I, I, so that that part that that, that part I don't I, I, I don't. I don't care. But, but I mean, I mean, you, you made me have to stretch to think of something. I mean, it's, like <laughs> yeah. it's not much that it's that, that, that's, that we're lucky to be in the industry that we're in, in that we get to lip, We can ply our trade where we want. You live in Bend. I live in Seattle. And um, we can, um, you know, use our brains to our advantage. Uh, so it, if we were complaining and whining about our industry, we'd be
0: well. It's you know actually, one it's not the, like we like it to be. But <laughs> right, right. One of the questions I was going to ask, and I just kind of tossed it while we were you know talking, was uh, but this kind of gets at it is you know what's what's the biggest mistake that investors make? And I might just be thinking that there's just only one way to make money in the markets, which is buy and hold, because there are so many other ways to be successful in the financial markets other than. You know this this propaganda right now is so powerful. You know, buy index funds and hold them, and you, don't, you won't lose money. And, and
1: well, I think, I I I, I think, um, you know, I always try to ask myself, what's my edge? And that's not a, that's that's not a unique observation on my part. Many guys have said that, but I think, and you don't have to have like some super secret edge, but you have to say, well, okay, I have some tactics that I've honed and they've worked pretty well, so my edge is kind of my tactics and how I do, you know, so if you're the, if you're the average person, you have to say, well, I mean, most, most, the average person would say, well, I have a long time horizon, true, if you're young, you you do, but, you know, the problem is, this is difficult, how do you you're you're a young guy. You're in we're a gal, and you're in your thirties, and you're in a, a, a good field. and You're making good money, and you're putting money aside. You're trying to live your life, you know, financially prudently. But what are you supposed to do? Yeah,
0: you get nothing in a savings account. Yeah,
1: you get nothing in a savings account. Uh, you know, uh, so you read a column by guys like me, and you say, "Well, that guy says don't." I mean, it makes it, it sounds like it's too scary to own anything. And so then they don't own anything and then they and they keeps going up and they wait and they wait a year and then they go get involved. So it, it's not so easy to what what do you tell the average person how how to you know, I think what you have to tell them now is look. Fine, take some amount of money and just have it be in cash or something because something bad's going to happen. and It'll be big. And, you know, you'll have more ability to think rationally, being able to think rationally in a bad period, right? Because, or, 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 you, can, or, or you have to say, you have to have a plan of what you're going to do to try to um, reduce your position all the way down. That's so hard to do for an inexperienced yeah. person. Yeah. It's so easy to get frozen. I mean, you know
0: what it's oh, like. Yeah. You get, so I, I mean, yeah, in March I 2009, mean, to, to try and buy you know, stocks in that time or by real estate in 2011, 2012, you know, was, I mean, the average person just can't do it. It's just, the, yeah, the sentiment so, is So, 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 so,
1: I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't have an objection to a person thinking, look, I'm not good enough to shuck and jive. And the most part, I'm going to try to just sit, but they also have to be aware that they have to examine the argument. Okay. Is everything been warped by the central banks? No, I don't believe that. Well, they're not listening to this interview, right. and um, they're going to do really well until they go over the falls, and then they'll have to figure out how they're going to deal with that if they can. Other people are going to say, well, yeah, maybe it does make some sense. Well, how much sense does it make? Where are you in your math, your, you know, your, your financial equation? How are you going to deal with it? I'm sympathetic to the question of, because you could, you could tell a young, sorry, if you took us with what we know now and turned us into young people again. With limited funds, we could figure. We know enough to we could take a modest amount of money and figure out a way to build it. We'd sit and we would do. But we've learned those lessons from making our mistakes and doing all this stuff. So the, to the people that haven't done that yet, you know, trying to give them advice to navigate it through is 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 trickier. So I mean, yeah. we're so far into this and we're so late in the game. I don't have any problem telling somebody, look, just go to cash. Let's look at it in six months. If if we're wrong, there will be information in that, but you're probably not leaving that much on the table. Um, I had a young guy, younger guy, uh, who I happened to ski with one of the guides up where I go Hell skiing. and he, you know, he's heard me talk over the years, and he said, "What should I do?" And I said, "You know what? I think 2017 is going to be a train wreck." Um, you know, once the election and I said, "You should just take your funds and move a lot of them to cash." Well, he has. Well, he's in Canada. Hadn't cost him anything, right? Because the Canadian market's not really doing much, right? right. Um, so anyway, I, I got off on a tangent, but I, I, I think, no, I, think I, I think it, it's, it comes uh,
0: back to you know how we started the conversation about you know uh, being a snob, you know, be in cash until there are some opportunities to put money to work. You know, that's not you know zero neg- percent uh, real return in bonds or probably negative negative real. Return in owning stocks. And yeah, so- you
1: can use. Tw- you could lose twenty percent or twenty five percent in the stocks or the stock market in a heartbeat. Yeah, you are not going to lose that to inflation for you know six or seven years.
0: Yeah,
1: so you are not making anything on your cash. You just have to wait. Cash, as Seth Klarman says, is is an option. On I can't remember exactly how he says it, but it's, yeah. it's an option on opportunity, an so opportunity. Yeah. So bonds are dead for sure. You are losing. Yeah. You're losing versus inflation. If it's short enough, you probably can't lose any capital, but you're not getting anywhere. If it makes you feel better to own a few bonds, fine. You're not going
0: to lose much. You're not going to make much. But this, this, you know, that brings up a good point too. This might be the first cycle where we see, you know, bonds are not a very good hedge when stocks go down. Right. Well, in the past that's what people have counted on. Right. right. In the 60-40 portfolio. Well, there's another. So, the, yeah. I mean, there's another
1: wild card is risk parity. Right. Yeah. What's good now? I mean, Paul Jones is one of the smartest guys uh, right. in, in our industry. Thinks it's going to be a big problem. I happen to too. I know about one tenth about whatever he's thinking about it that he does. And uh, so there's another wild card. So I think there's no, pro- I think we, we finally got to a place where I think for the average person just to, just to have a boatload of cash and say, look, over the next year, I'm, my opportunity cost is going to be, you know, a couple of percent in fixed income. And maybe I'm going to miss out on five to 10 in stocks but i'm 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 putting myself in a position to not potentially not lose 15 or 20 and then have the mental clarity to be able to take advantage of a real opportunity
0: yeah yeah 15 20 30, 40, 50. Well,
1: I would say say 60 or 70 if I didn't know for sure that the the central Central banks were going to ride to the rescue. So you're only going to be able to lose 15 or 20 or 25 right off the bat, and then they're going to ride to the rescue. And then there'll be the bounce and the do-over lifetime, and then we're all going to get to decide
0: what we really want to do. Right, right. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've taken up... A ton of your time. Uh, I'm really grateful to you to take the time, Bill, to do this and share your thoughts. Uh, you have uh, plenty of experience and wisdom to, you know, especially from a unique perspective of a guy who's done, you know, from the short side something very different. I've
1: been, I've been behind enemy lines for a long well, time.
0: <laughs> something very different for a long time, and I think it's fascinating. You know, this is not this is not the kind of stuff that you get to hear. Uh, from from most of the you know media outlets and whatnot. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to you. Thanks for doing this.
1: Yeah, it was really fun. You asked me really great questions. It was it was it was really a ball. I had a great time.
0: And that does it for another episode of Super Investors and the Art of Worldly Wisdom. You can find Bill online at FleckensteinCapital.com. There he writes a daily column um, in addition to his Ask Fleck section, which he mentioned in our conversation. I'll also put up uh, some notes and links on my site at thefelderreport.com forward slash podcast. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, buy low, sell high.
1: At that moment, man finds his character,
0: and that is what keeps him out of the abyss.